Hey, this is Daryl. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is sponsored by Fubo TV, which is how I watch my soccer. And here's why. With my Fubo subscription, I can watch on my TV, on my iPad, on my phone, on my laptop. Very, very portable. I can watch the Premier League on NBC Sports. I can watch the Bundesliga on Fox Sports. I can watch La Liga on BN Sports. It is true that Fubo doesn't have ESPN, but I've also found that anything that's on ESPN that I want to watch, like say a US men's national team game, is also available in Espanol on Today NA. I can 100% recommend the family package, which is around $50 a month, comes with all the soccer channels I mentioned, and 500 hours of cloud DVR. I dare you to try and fill it. And here's the best thing about Fubo. Even if you forget to DVR a game, just completely forgot, and you're like, ah, should have DVR'd that, it's okay. Because every game is on demand for 72 hours after it originally airs. So for 72 hours, you can still go back and watch it with Fubo TV. Oh, and just to be clear, Fubo TV also has all the other non-soccer channels, whatever they may be. If you want to try it out, you can get a seven-day free trial. And Fubo will give you a reminder when the seven days are almost up. You go to fubo.tv slash TSS. Fubo.tv slash TSS to give Fubo a try. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who's excited for Pogback Part 2. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Pogback Part 2, the poppening? The pappening? I don't know what that would be. <laughs> the dribbling. Yeah. <laughs> if you're Eric Dyer, the terrifying <laughs> dribbling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we, <laughs> or maybe the Brunoing, because it really was about the Pogba Bruno partnership that we was it. All, I hadn't noticed. Was that discussed? It was. I mean, we were hyped for it, right? And I, I started to think maybe this was all in our heads that this could be an exciting combo. And I've got to say, the thirty minutes we got of Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandez on the field at the same time, it was exactly what I hoped it would be. Yeah, it really was, wasn't it? It's because yep. Paul Pogba can do so many things that so many people cannot, and Bruno Fernandez seems about the same in very yeah. different ways. So the two of them together, uh, definitely a, a fun experience if you're a Man United fan, which is not something we've said all that often. I mean, we'll get into it in detail later, but one one thing I really liked was the idea that Bruno Fernandez could try even more elaborate things, knowing that <laughs> if he lost the ball, there was a long legged Paul Pogba slide tackle to recover for him. Yep. Yep. It's, yep. It's like Safety he, and long legs. Measured, That's how it works. Yeah. He measured Pogba's legs and sort of increased his risk ratio with his uh, with his <laughs> skill attempts accordingly. <laughs> oh, so we'll, I'm, ki- I'm kind of happy. Kind of happy. <laughs> so we'll get into Spurs versus Manchester United later on because it was a good game, right? It was very much mm-hmm. a Premier League is back entertaining game. But first, some big news out of Major League Soccer. Um, it was announced today, the first ever Black Players Coalition of MLS. So there was a, essentially a Twitter announcement that was kind of like a press release, right? Like a two-page press release. You were on the uh, the media call yesterday, Taylor. I wasn't able to attend. But this feels like big news. This feels like a big thing happening in Major League Soccer. 
It really does. And to be on that call felt like a very big, momentous moment that was also just a good reminder of how little we know is going on behind the scenes. Because yes. I have these ideas like squads are unified and everybody's together and you're all one in the locker room. And that doesn't really feel to be the case. Not to say that it's an adversarial relationship or anything like that, just that the thing that kind of resonated with me is that for a lot of these players, I think, what, what is it, 70 who are now uh, like members of the organization? Over 70 black players in MLS have go. come together, is what mm-hmm. the press release says. And it felt like like it started, as they said, uh, uh, Jeff Carlisle was also on the call, wrote a good article about it, but it started with Justin Morrow sort of talking about how he didn't really know how to process stuff. He was trying to deal with it on his own and then reaching out to other guys and they kind of became this group that talked about these issues and it went from there. It was a reminder of how isolated it can be as a professional athlete and as a black professional athlete uh, and how like they've kind of come together, rallied together, found strength in numbers and now feel like they have sort of a mission to pursue and to be part of that, to hear, not to be part of that, but to hear them kind of launch it and the, and the meaningful moves behind the scenes was a very, um, I, I, I will say like empowering and uh, humbling moment at the same time. So here's, here's a line from the, from the release today um, from the Black Players Coalition of MLS. Mm-hmm. We pledge to help bridge the, racial, bridge, excuse me, the racial equality gap that exists in our league by lobbying for initiatives like implicit bias training, cultural education courses, and diversification hiring practices. Uh, beyond addressing these overlooked systemic issues around soccer in this country, the BPC is committed to tackling the racial injustices that have prevented black people from having an equitable stake in society. So my read on that is that it's going to be some very specific MLS things that they're going to sort of essentially um, lobby Major League Soccer to implement, but also they're going to be looking outside the league and sort of bringing their weight to bear um, on various issues. The one thing I, I can say is that we hope um, that some of these players will be willing to be interviewed and to talk about these things in detail, right? Especially guys like um, Jeremy Obobese. I don't know if you heard yeah. the uh, BSI, the podcast with Jeremy Obobese. Um, that was a really great episode. He had some really insightful things to say. I heard him speak yesterday, and he had some incredibly insightful things to say yesterday. I believe speaking extemporaneously, no less. Uh, yeah. Very powerful speaker, very like motivating speech at the same time. And that was the case for all of them. Uh, I think it was Jaleel Anibaba who said, uh, we're one voice coming from the exact same place. And that was the case that uh, lots of different players talking yesterday, giving their remarks, kind of discussing where they were coming from in the creation of this organization. But simultaneously, like making clear, like they all kind of are together. It's not necessarily one person who's leading it or one person who's like at the helm of things, but that they're all kind of coming together to work for change. Well, you, you did tell me that uh, a lot of the players were very clear that there was no one person leading it, but that they kept deferring to Justin Morrow. Yeah. And in, the, in this release, there is a line, Justin Morrow will serve as our executive director. And I'm imagining yes. like a thing behind the scenes where he's like, no, no, take that out, take that out. And, and they just make sure to put it in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was definitely the one organizing the call and, and yeah. kept it moving. Uh, I think they, they, they did give credit to Quincy Ameriqua, who I believe was the one who sort of formalized it into an actual group. Yeah. Uh, America's finest uh, rib jabber, Quincy Ameriqua. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about that. Speaking from personal experience, but I'm sure that's also happened to some uh, professional center backs and, and not just amateur center backs who were sitting next to him on a stage. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> So we'll definitely have more on this story in the future because it sounds like mm. um, there's there's definitely more to come. Um, today was just the launch of the Black Players Coalition of Major League Soccer. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Taylor, but the best place to follow what's going on right now would be to follow their Twitter, right? Yes. 
Yeah. yeah, I think so. And that's the best way to kind of stay connected to it and see what they're doing so it doesn't become a, like, oh, they're doing this, and then it kind of fades. And that was another point they stressed was that it is definitely, like, the George Floyd protests and everything that's happened with George Flo- George Floyd is a major motivating incident, but it is not the motivating incident. That it yeah. obviously goes back months and years and decades and even longer, maybe centuries you could go with. And And I think that that was a point that they were stressing is that it's not just about this sort of temporary situation temporary moment it's meant to be a sustainable organization that continues uh in perpetuity and yeah to give an example of the um the type of thing that's been going on that i really wasn't aware of uh there was the cj sapong appearance on the cooligans last Mm -hmm. week did you hear this um cj sapong was talking essentially about what happened when alexander katai uh, and he played together at the chicago fire um Turns out it's not just Katai's wife's Instagram is the problem. There was a, a much deeper yeah. problem. Um, I won't I won't go into details, but I definitely recommend listening to that episode of The Cooligans, but not any other episodes of The Cooligans. Yeah, that's unless we're on it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Those episodes yeah. you can listen to. That's Only fine. listen to episodes of The Cooligans that feature the Total Soccer Show or CJ Sapunk. Fair. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, are you ready to move on and talk Spurs versus Manchester United? I am indeed. All right. Um, so, spoiler alert. Um, I'm guessing if you've got this far into it and you've list- you've clicked play on a podcast with Spurs Man United in the title, then you know the score. And I've just given you enough time to press stop if you were going to. It finished. Spurs won. Manchester United won. It was nearly a Mourinho special. It really was. And it was... <laughs> uh, I got it, like... In the beginning, I'm going to say this as a Man United fan, I'm going to try to back off a little bit and approach this as like, you know, a, a person who talks about soccer for a living as opposed yes. to a, a rabid fan. Yes, I'm much pre- I prefer analyst Taylor to fanalist Taylor. That's fair. Uh, but in the opening 15 minutes, I felt very confident as a Man United fan that they were on the ball. They seemed to be moving. There was a lot of zip. They were fighting for every single thing. And then slowly it started to feel like, oh, no, this is a Mourinho game, isn't it? Yes. And then Tottenham get that goal in exactly the way that Mourinho would have wanted them to get yep. that goal. And from there, it becomes a Jose Mourinho game, which is still in and of itself interesting because he's OK with the one nil win and he is content to sit back and make you try to make something happen. And for a good long chunk there, Man United seemed fairly incapable of making anything yep. happen. I mean, I'll go, we'll get into detail later, but I'll go as far as saying that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer figured this out and yeah. made really good use of his subs. And But part of that is also that one of his subs was Paul Pogba, who was um, itching to come back. There are a lot of shots yes. of Pogba on the bench. And to me, this is weird, but he looked... Um, he looked very much like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer used to look in his playing days. You know, the way you used to see Solskjaer leaning mm-hmm. forward, watching everything really closely and figuring out and just wanting to get in the game. Um, that was the look on Pogba's face. He's, he, his full attention was on this game, I think. Yeah, I mean, and and Let that me makes ask sense. Him, I think is what he was saying. <laughs> well, and that makes sense. That would be the mentality because first he's returning from injury and it's his first time back. But also, if you're Paul Pogba, who definitely doesn't shy away from the spotlight uh, in the best possible way, I would add, uh, like you know, this is the only game on, or this is the only game in the Premier League on. You know, people are going to be watching. You know, you're going to have eyes on you. You know, people are excited to see how it's going to go with you and Bruno Fernandez. So I think <laughs> he was definitely show, right? ready to go as soon as it came on. <laughs> he definitely heard our show. He knew he knew we were hyped. Um, oh, I mean, I think everybody, I mean, like, uh, I forget who the, the commentator was, but as he came on, Peter he said, Drew. like, all right, let's see what they do. And then it was like a two-second silence, and then I think Man United were dispossessed, and he was like, we'll keep waiting, or something <laughs> like that. But, like, yeah, I think, because I thought it maybe was, like, just you and me and a couple other Man United fans who were really, really excited about that, maybe... 
That's my level of ego. But I did not realize that it was going to be a thing that the commentator was literally like, let's wait in stunned silence and see how it develops. Oh, no, that's a many, many millions of pounds uh, midfield partnership, right? That makes um, sense. Yeah. <laughs> Plus McTominay. Um, so <laughs> let's. <laughs> I want to lay the tactical uh, groundwork for this game, if, you're, if you'll allow me. So here's what Mourinho did. At home against Manchester United, but it's very Mourinho, he essentially, when Spurs defended, they're in a 4-2-3-1 attacking. When Spurs defended, it was a narrow or compact 4-4-2 mid to low block is what I'm going to call it. Where to me, Kane and Lamella were the sort of the front two in the defensive shape. And they were essentially tasked with keeping an eye on uh, what would have been what McTominay and Fred. And then all the attacking players ahead of them, you had eight Spurs players ready to deal with them, right? So it was really the name of the game was uh, defend from here and don't give any space to any Manchester United players. And I think the victim, the biggest victim of that was Anthony Martial. Like, I don't know if there was probably a, a few comments from the commentators about forgetting Anthony Martial was there. I went back and looked for him and I found him, Taylor. And I found him in a Bermuda Triangle. He, <laughs> he was lost in a Bermuda that's, Triangle. Of, that's good work by you. You don't yeah, usually find people in the Bermuda, in the Bermuda Triangle. I, I looked very hard. He was in a Bermuda Triangle of two Spurs centre-backs. So it's what, Eric Dyer and Demerson Sanchez. Um, and then always either Winks or Sissoko was ahead of him with a, you know, like you, they talk about the cover shadow where you're ahead of the player and your shadow would be falling on them. Um, so you're blocking any passes into them. So yeah, Martial was cut off from like three, three different directions. So I don't even think he had a bad game so much as Spurs just had a really good defensive game plan to block off everything through the middle. And, and, and there you might think, but like it's Anthony Martial and he's very, very good, but he is not some next level performer that you have to, he's not Michael Jordan. It's not like you have to isolate him. Otherwise he's going to torch you, but it is the case. I mean, he's way better you, at soccer to be fair. I mean, we don't know that. You've never <laughs> seen Jordan dri- dribble. We don't know how it could go, uh, but uh, yes, he is. And, and with that said though, that if you sort of block off all the options to that focal point, to that number nine, then you're going to have to look elsewhere and you're going to have to keep the ball moving, but it also is going to lead to frustration and it's going to lead to sort of shots taken from distance or low percentage shots taken because you don't have that other piece of sort of connective tissue when it comes to your attack. And I think that's what makes that, that Spurs rigidity in their defense or fluidity if they need to move around to make sure that Anthony Martial is covered. That's what I think caused massive problems for both Martial and for Man United's attack, at least in that first half. Yeah, and Bruno Fernandes was really trying, right? I saw him just wandering around trying to find some space between the lines and there just wasn't much there that like especially Sissoko and Winks were really clever about how they moved and a very this is a classic Mourinho thing right Son on the left and Bergwijn on the right they very much like uh stayed on the leash did their defensive job Mm -hmm. that because this is what Mourinho does to wingers right he turns them into people who defend for like 87 minutes of the game and only get to attack for three minutes of the game but when it works you get your reward as the winger, sort of like Bergwijn did today, right? And at, at peak Mourinho, you do that for the whole season and win a bunch of games, one or two now. Yeah, and and I think at peak, peak Mourinho, it also works because if you're having success, if you're winning that way, yes, you're not scoring five goals a game and you're not playing like really pretty uh, possessive possession attacking soccer. But simultaneously, like we've been in those games where we were just like man marking for our lives. And mm-hmm. there is something to be said for being up one nil and just seeing the opposition start to crumble because they're so frustrated. Yeah. And so I, I think you saw some of that in the first half, especially for Manchester United, that I think that they were 
really focused on, we know they're going to be defensive. We know Spurs aren't going to give us many chances. So anytime you catch them in a state of transition, move the ball forward quickly and try to exploit that or expose the opportunities presented. And I think that that was almost to Manchester United's detriment because routinely they were forcing passes that if they maybe took another touch would have spotted a different one. And instead they're trying to play the ball indirectly to Martial or play it over the top to Rashford or Danny James is trying to make a run. And more often than not, those passes were cut out or intercepted or Daniel James was knocked off the ball or his cross went out of bounds. And I think Manchester United sort of played into Mourinho's hands a little bit. Yeah, I think it's really worth noting that the, to me, the best chance that Man United had in the first half was 22nd minute. It was that Rashford left-footed, side-footed chance. But that only came because Bruno Fernandes whipped that ball in and it wasn't a great ball in the end, right? It was Davinson Sanchez got there first and it was just a bad header from Davison yep. Sanchez. He almost like flicked it on straight to Rashford. And Rashford did a good job, I think, taking it uh, first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like just straight, straight, uh, like sent it back the other way. Um, it turns out Hugo Ruiz just hates hungry school children and didn't Apparently. want there to be the Rashford, the Rashford scores narrative. <laughs> I think that's probably almost certainly what it was. Yeah. It is a great save. He gets a toe to it. Like maybe one toe to that ball to make that save. Yeah. It's a great save from Yoris. Uh, but you're absolutely right, though, that it does come about from a defensive mistake from Tottenham, not necessarily Manchester United passing their way through and creating a clear-cut opportunity. Yeah. Do you want to talk about uh, Spurs' goal? Uh, we can, but first, do you want to talk about today's sponsor? I feel like you're backing me into it, so I'm going to have to. <laughs> Who is it, Taylor? That's right. Today's episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Uh, Manscaped is here to provide the best tools for your grooming experience, especially with their Lawnmower 3.0, the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Wait, but Taylor, which part of my body am I grooming with Manscaped tools? You weren't you weren't specific at all. I mean, theoretically, you could use them anywhere, That's true. Uh, but I think they are primarily used. Uh, you don't want to end up having to use that razor in multiple spots because it is ideally designed for your nether regions. There we go. Your bathing suit parts, your swimsuit area. And I guess once you've, you've got the tool to use down there, mm-hmm. you stick to using it down there, right? That's the point. Yeah, you, you have a separate razor for your face um, and you use the, uh, the Lawn Mower 3.0 with the ceramic mm-hmm. blade and the skin safe technology. You use it for your not face. I'm going to call it my not face. Use it for your not face as well. But they do have other products as well. We've talked about the Crop Preserver before. We've talked about the Crop Reviver. They've also got the ear and nose hair trimmer, which... I am eternally grateful for, I must say. I know people don't really want to hear this much information about our grooming habits, but it's worth remembering. Hair keeps growing out of those two things. You got to keep it out of control. Otherwise, suddenly you look in the mirror and you have like three foot long hair coming out of your ears. And I mean, nobody needs that. What you need to do is every member of our audience needs to buy some Manscaped products and then mm-hmm. uh, Manscaped will finally know that everybody's bought it and so the ads are tapped out. That's when you'll stop mm-hmm. hearing about That's when you'll stop hearing about it. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> if people did... Yes. want to get something and they uh-huh. did want to get maybe 20% off with free shipping Daryl how could they do so you go to manscaped.com and you use the code TSS20 that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code TSS20 everybody go buy one and then we'll stop doing the ads <laughs> buy two, <laughs> buy two if, you're tired, if you're tired of hearing us talk about grooming ourselves then go buy a thing and yeah. then maybe we'll exhaust the uh, supply <laughs> Yeah, actually, because I guess if the more it sells, the more ads they'll buy, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, you've got to go so we've got to go so far that we exhaust yep. the Manscaped supply. There we go. All right. <laughs> Empty so warehouses. Make it happen. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the Spurs goal because it is a very Jose Mourinho goal, also a very pretty goal simultaneously, in my opinion. Yes, here's why I would very much agree with you that it's a very Jose Mourinho goal. Um, there was a sort of 
opportunity that Manchester United kept presenting mm. and Spurs eventually exploited it. And I'm going to yeah. guess you would agree with, I think you texted this to me during the game. We didn't text much during this game, right? But this is one text mm. you sent me. Luke Shaw, Manchester United's left back in their 4-2-3-1, kept getting high and wide and leaving yeah. a bit of a gap, right? Um, first thing I want to talk about is I think Mourinho would have known that was coming. And I think there's a logic behind it from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And I think if you look at Manchester United's right side, right, you've got a quite defensive right back in Aaron Wambasaka, and you've got a very straight up right winger in Danny James, right? But on the left side, you've got Marcus Rashford, who doesn't ever really play left wing, right? He really plays like left-sided forward who likes to drift inside and almost join the other centre forward, right? Go and join Martial. So to maintain width, it has to be that Luke Shaw gets forward up the left wing and then Marcus Rashford can drift inside. So it's like we always knew that was going to be happening down Manchester United's left, which means eventually there'll be a breakdown in possession when Luke Shaw drifts to the left and then Steven Bergwijn can exploit that space. And that really is what happens on this goal. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is. It is a little bit Luke Shaw's own doing here because it is not as though he had made a 30-yard run forward and then uh, like got caught out because he was committed forward. It's a a ball drop back to Hugo Lloris. He kicks it long. Uh, Luke Shaw wins that header, is pretty much uncontested. Burt Wind is in the area, but not challenging him. And I think he's looking for Marcus Rashford, but... It's it's a header. It's like it's Rashford has to drop back in. And so it's not as though it's a bad header by Luke Shaw. The mistake I think he makes is that he, as soon as he heads it, thinks Marcus Rashford's going to win this ball or, in my opinion, more likely, sees how much space there is down that left channel behind Marcus Rashford. Yeah. And so he starts moving wide and forward, yep, I think, to I anticipate, oh, he's going to play me in and now I'm gone except that the ball goes backwards and now he is wildly out of position. Yeah, I would say Luke Shaw has, he's executing the pattern of play that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer mm-hmm. has asked him to execute, but he's making a big assumption that Rashford's winning that ball, right? Because it was yeah. not a good headed pass. And I, I actually went yeah. and looked and there were some other not great sort of directional headers from Luke Shaw. I think this yeah. might be a weak part of his game, um, but he really made the assumption that, that his headed pass was good and went off into the attacking position. That's why there's a massive gap down that side, right? For, for Bergwijn to uh, exploit. Yes. And so from there, Bergwijn drives at Harry Maguire. Fred is chasing. And this is the the second much bigger blunder that many people have already spotted is Harry Maguire seems to be trying to show Stephen Bergwijn outside. Bergwijn yeah. cuts inside, not even that aggressively, just kind of moves the ball inside. And Harry Maguire has to turn entirely, which you don't want to do as a defender and completely loses like track of the man and then loses his footing in terms of is no longer at full speed to be able to deal with it. And then simultaneously, because he's trying to close, sort of steps across Fred. And so Fred has to adjust his run. Yeah. So Harry Maguire effectively ends up blocking off Fred more so, so than he does Bergwijn. So how did Harry Maguire make this mistake? Is mm. it, I mean, I'm going to throw up a theory. Is it just simply one of those match sharpness things. Because I've watched Harry Maguire play a lot. This is not a mistake I sort of see him make regularly, right? Where he tries to show someone to the outside, but does it at the wrong angle and the wrong time. So they just easily cut inside him. He would not be an 85 million pound defender. He would not be a World Cup semi-final defender if he was constantly making that mistake. So would you agree with me that we could attribute this to just rustiness, basically? I think that's part of it. There's one other thing I think that you've kind of actually already said that I think is critical here. So yes, I think it's his maybe lack of sharpness. He's, he's been going in training, but maybe it's like 75% in training. They're not trying to blow past each other quite yet. Yeah. But the other thing, as you said, is if Luke Shaw is stepping high, getting forward, 
then you do, if you're that center back, have to cover a little bit. And I think mm. what they were doing is having Harry Maguire slide just a little bit over to be that like the left center back, but maybe cheat a little bit, a couple yards yeah. over to the left. And then Victor Lindelof slides over that direction as well. So he's more central. And then maybe Aaron Wan-Bissaka or somebody or Scott McTominay can drop in yeah. and provide cover on that weak one, side. Wan-Bissaka all, almost always mm-hmm. for the first 78 minutes of this game stay yep. home, right? So it almost mm-hmm. is like he's a right center back. And I can see how that becomes a sort of, um, occasional back three as Luke Shaw gets forward. A little bit like what Greg Bellhalter used to do in a, yeah. uh, with Tim Ream in a reverse fashion, right? Yeah. But here, I think because Shaw starts to go, I think Maguire cheats out to that left early and Lindelof doesn't move and or he doesn't close that gap. And so the only other thing I can figure is that Harry Maguire assumes that Victor Lindelof has moved maybe five yards closer to him yeah. so that if Bergwijn cuts inside, there's that second center back there to kind of step in and win that ball. Yeah. And I think as he turns, he realizes, oh, I have dramatically miscalculated. We are in trouble. <laughs> but that's the only other thing I can think. I've made a huge Aside from that, I wrote, we, I wrote in all caps, we try to explain what happens when they happen, but I have no idea what Harry Maguire is doing. And then I crossed <laughs> that out and wrote, spacing? Question mark? So that's about where I am on this one. I mean, you've also got to credit Bergwijn, right? He does, as soon as oh, yeah. he sees that Maguire is taking this weird angle, he immediately there's not even a move right it's just there's obviously space to go at so he just cuts to the inside and away he goes yes and then it's an it is a really good finish in my opinion he puts so much power behind it you can say what you want about David De Gea I still think he's a very very good goalkeeper I think maybe he could have done better here but there is some incredible power behind this shot but there's one I think De Gea knows his incredible power behind it and it looks to me like he's trying to punch it yeah. Uh, and doesn't quite get a good punch connection. Yeah. And that's why it ends up looking so lame is because like the mm-hmm. angle of his punch is all wrong. So it looks like, I mean, it does just like bounce off an angle of his glove, right? So that makes it look like he just got weak hands, but he's actually going for the strong punch. Yeah, and it's weird to try to punch low, right? Because yes. it's like, usually you're like meeting a ball in the air, you're punching it, you're above everybody else's head. To punch low is a strange thing because yeah. you've got to make sure you do it right. Otherwise, it's going to spill into the goal behind you, which is the case here. That's why whenever I'm in a fight, I slap low. <laughs> that's like, the way to do it like Bobby, Hill, like Bobby Hill <laughs> I thought that's what you were alluding to yeah. and then you made it clear Thank and I yell I don't know you but in terms of some some minorly dirty play, uh, Eric Lamella <laughs> did not mind kicking people in the shins on occasion in this game. And in this sequence, he does do a thing that he will not get any credit for, certainly not from a like s- statistical standpoint. No he should get an here. assist. Eric Lamella should he get should. an assist for what he does here. I watched this and I kept trying to figure out like, what, wait, hold on. Where does he come from? Why is he here? And if you go back and watch, Eric Lamella closes down this this goal a little bit better than Fred or, uh, or Maguire do. But he basically sprints past both of them and sort of does that swim move that you'll do to try to get around a person. And in so doing, slows them down. And he basically buys Bergwijn that extra maybe half second to get yeah. that shot off cleanly. I don't think anybody was going to stop him necessarily, but you know what can happen when there's a little bit of pressure, when you feel the kind of footsteps or you hear the footsteps behind you or you feel that defender coming in. You might miscue. You might shoot wide. You might not get that full power. And I think Lamella makes that distracting run and causes some problems for United defenders I, and opens up that space. I mean, I'll go as far as saying that he's blocking like you do in the NFL yeah. for a runner. Yeah. Right? It's it's yeah. pretty much that. He's really blocks Maguire and uh, Fred getting any closer to Bergwijn right at the crucial moment. This is why he's able to have the room to get a shot away. There's there's yeah. every chance in the world that I'm going to say mostly Fred, because Fred was at least facing the right direction the whole time, <laughs> would have been able to, if not tackle him, then, you know, just get a yeah. shoulder into him or get a leg across or just make it harder for Bergwijn to, to get that shot away. 
I'm yeah, not. But I'm not saying that like this should be called back or ruled out. Because no. I think Lamella does just enough mm-hmm. to be approaching the line of where it's a foul, but not enough that, especially VAR would have looked at it. I'm assuming the video assistant referee would have spotted it. There's not quite enough there for it to be a foul. I don't think. No, because you could you could definitely it wouldn't be clear and obvious at the very least because it is not yeah. as though he gets between Fred and Bergwijn and then just stops and like completely blocks off uh, Fred from doing anything that would then be obstruction. You could make the argument that he's trying to run to be in a support position in case Bergwijn wants to square to him for like an easy cutback tap in. And so I think he does enough, as you said, distraction distraction there, and just does enough to make it seem like ah uh-huh, it could be natural. Maybe he's trying to help, even though he is very clearly trying to screen those runs. So based on my conversation with nathan a clark who's a really good uh if you find him on twitter he's a really good spurs tactical writer um he said that uh eric lamella's best time of the year is always pre-season when the, mm. the season holds so much promise he's always on fire in pre-season it's lamella's favorite time of year um and then he kind of gets injured or disappoints during the season that's been the lamella story i think lamella still thinks it's pre-season because of the empty stadiums and so he performed to his maximum capability <laughs> I like that. That's my lamella. All right, well, let's just keep telling him it's preseason and it will work out fine. Yeah, I think that could work. He'll be be winning the Ballon d'Or in no time. No time at all. (laughs) Should we talk talk about United's comeback? I was going to say, yeah, so it's 1-0. We're going to halftime. We come out of halftime. It's still 1-0. And then Paul Pogba comes on and uh, the world is right again. Things really do pick up, right? I mean, it's the... Mm -hmm. So Pogba and Greenwood come on at the same time in the 62nd minute and they replace um, Fred for Pogba, basically the same position, and Danny James for Mason Greenwood, same position, right? The right wing. I honestly think this is just... There's a little bit of Paul Pogba enthusiasm. Like, I think he brings an energy to this game. Like, I really do think sometimes soccer is as simple as that, right? If you have one really high-quality, highly motivated player that everyone's excited about on the field it can change the game. But I also think there's genuinely a massive upgrade in both positions with Pogba replacing Fred and Greenwood replacing Danny James. I think Greenwood's a yeah. magnificent player who's who's going to get better, better and better and better. Yeah, because, I mean, Danny James caused some problems, but I think we also saw some of his limitations in this game, including when he gets that yellow card for retaliation. You don't really want that. But then yeah. some of his crossing wasn't as sharp as as I'm sure Man United fans would have liked to see, as, as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would have liked to see. Whereas, yeah, Mason Greenwood coming in is going to offer you, I think, a slightly more polished attacking threat. Yeah, he has more dimensions, is what I'm going to say. Yes, yes. And and more muscle mass and height as well. So more dimensions in that regard as well. Um, So there's definitely a period where I am on the edge of my seat watching this game. Yeah. Because Man United are more or less camped out at the top of the Spurs box. And it's, as we mentioned at the top of the show, it's Bruno Fernandes and Pogba combining with some nice little passing sequences. Um, it's Fernandes really trying some stuff, right? And really getting mm-hmm. involved. And I also noticed this is the first time that Fernandes seemed to be really central as opposed to having to keep drifting out wide to try and find some space to to get the ball. Um, so, uh, the, yeah, it's really exciting, like, 15 minutes of, of this game. Still didn't result in any goals, though. It didn't. It resulted in more clear-cut opportunities. Though. Yes. And I do think that's partially because he's able to have a bit more freedom and play centrally. But I also think, to go back to that Jordan analogy for a moment, it's like there. I think there was an awareness of Bruno Fernandes is this player that can cause us lots of problems if you're Tottenham. We need to do everything we can. We might kick him. We might knock him off the ball. But then we're also going to make sure we always have eyes on him. And then Paul Pogba comes in, and suddenly that's another major threat that you have to deal with. And I think that maybe maybe you just take your eyes off Bruno, Bruno Fernandes 10%. But I think that's enough for him to start 
finding pockets of space and to find opportunities. He has the great ball in the sort of reverse pass for Anthony Martial that Martial, I think, is not able to get off in time. Eric Dyer ends up blocking it. Yeah. More on Eric Dyer in a moment. But you start to see those little moments of like, oh, right. Bruno Fernandez on the ball, 20 yards from goal is a big problem if you're a defender. But the bigger problem for Spurs mm-hmm. is when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer makes his second round of substitutions and crucially changes formation. So he makes yeah. his subs and changes formation in the 78th minute. In the 80th minute, Manchester United win a penalty kick. That is no exaggeration. So this is Igalo and Matic come on for Martial and Lindelof. United go to what I'm going to basically call a 3-4-3, right? It's a, it's a back three of... Um, Maguire, Matic and McTominay. So two of the back three are defensive midfielders. Aaron Wan-Bissaka is finally told to like really push high and wide on the right. Luke Shaw is allowed to go high and wide on the left and you know have a bit more coverage behind him. And then it's just Pogba and Fernandes as your two central midfielders, which is kind of thrilling. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's the three of Rashford, uh, Igalo, and to the right is Mason Greenwood, right? So finally... Greenwood and Rashford are not really asked to play out wide at all. They're allowed to be in and around the box. Oh, and away we go. Pretty soon, Manchester United have that penalty win uh, from Paul Pogba. There's a a nice interchange down the right, but I actually want to start. We're going to talk about this goal, Taylor. I want to start with uh, Matic. Um, So the ball starts with Matic in that central centre-back in the back three spot. He just briefly becomes Franz Beckenbauer. Matic (laughs) carries it forward. The Spurs, perm. the Spurs team is lined up in that, you know, uh, mid to low block 4-4-2. But Aaron Wan-Bissaka has pulled out wide right, like we talked about. Matic plays this pass that goes through basically all the lines, all of Spurs' defensive lines. This pass goes uh-huh. all the way through all of them and bends out to the right to find Aaron Wan-Bissaka in some space. So it really does start with Nemanja Matic slash back and back. It does. And then, just, am I correct in saying Wan-Bissaka then plays it to Mason Greenwood down the line? Yes, definitely. And then I think maybe and, even gets it back and then and then Wambasaka gives it to Pogba the second time. But here is the thing that I think is very, very important. Uh, when that ball goes to Greenwood, this is why I think it was him, is because he then squares up with Eric Dyer, yeah. but ends up cutting back. Yes. He goes back towards Aaron Wambasaka and I think plays that ball back. As you said, when Paul Pogba gets the ball in that same exact position, he fakes like he's going to cut back and Dyer bites on that fake. Yes. And that's why that channel then opens up down that line and then Dyer has to scramble. So I think there's that moment and I... Again, this is probably the fandom speaking again, but I like to think that Paul Pogba is clever enough to have spotted, oh, he bit on that cutback. He thinks I'm going to do that again. We'll see what happens. And what happened was he opened up space, caused problems, and eventually drew a penalty. So you're talking about the, when he's at the end line or when, the, when yeah. he's sort of a little further out? Yeah, so he, he actually does cut back and then cuts back again, right? Is that what we're talking mm-hmm. about? Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. That, I, mean, he fake, he, like, I shouldn't say he fakes the cutback, but he cuts back and cuts back really, really quickly. Yes. Like clearly trying to say, I'm going to go backwards, no threat here. And Dyer moves to sort of defend that the way you would. Like I'm going to sh- shepherd you away from the goal. Yeah. But now he sort of relaxed that defensive crouch that he had. And then Paul Pogba cuts back as soon as he does that. Yeah, and then Pogba just accelerates down that line, cuts mm-hmm. inside and starts dribbling across. And... I've got to say, Eric Dyer, I think, just kind of panics at this point. Yes, he exactly. Because sort of like I think he, he thought he had it right. Him, puts yeah. an arm into his back. There was really no need to do something so obviously mm-hmm. uh, penalty kick worthy. Because I think, yes, Paul Pogba probably sells it a little bit. I mean, it's definitely a shove in the back. There's definitely contact. But you have to believe that Paul Pogba probably could have stood on his feet, stayed on his feet if he wanted to. But I think at that point, if you're Eric Dyer, 
you are panicking a little bit and that is pretty clear. And I think any sort of physical contact like that is going to look all the more like you're just sort of scrambling and then you made a mistake uh, out of clumsiness. So maybe it's a little, little soft, but at the same time, I think that's always going to be a penalty. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've no doubt in my mind that that is a deserved penalty kick. I So I'm embarrassed, Tyler. I can't remember the penalty kick. Do you have any uh, analysis or notes on Fernandez's actual actual penalty kick that he scores? I mean, he hits it hard and scores. That's all I care about. <laughs> so you're only doing slightly better the than baby me. celebration. Be and <laughs> Wait, say it again? You're only doing slightly better than me analysis-wise. Then. <laughs> I mean, no, I, I think there's not much disguise to it. When it Initially, I thought it was going to be Paul Pogba, and I thought he was going to do his very, 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 very slow approach. Yeah. So I just prefer the, prefer the direct run-up and smash. That's fine with me. <laughs> And the baby celebration. Can yep. we talk about the importance of this in the Rockwell household? We sure can. You had tweeted before this game that mm-hmm. um, if Bruno does really well, you were considering naming your firstborn uh, Bruno, whether it's a boy or a girl, uh-huh. and you'd run it by your wife when the baby arrives in November. Yeah. So this was not only a naming announcement, this is a Taylor Rockwell baby is on the way announcement. Baby is on the way. We do not yet know if it's a boy or a girl. Uh the early reports from my wife are that Bruno is unlikely. <laughs> I threw up Bruna as well, which many people pointed out. She was she was less than impressed until I showed her the photo. I'm I'm assuming he just knew, and it wasn't at all about him and his wife. Uh, but he does do the baby celebration afterwards, so maybe that yes. was his sign. I showed her that. She was like, all right, that's pretty awesome. So Bruno it is? I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Check back in in late November. We'll find out. I can't wait to meet little Bruno. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm slightly terrified. And by slightly, I mean very. But it'll be fine. We'll see what happens. Speak- You're good to babysit, right, Daryl? Uh, yes. <laughs> Lies. I'm not sure I know how to, but theoretically, I'm available. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not the best type of babysitter right there. What I know is don't take it literally, right? Yes. Yes. Do not sit on the baby. <laughs> don't sit. Don't shake. Those are the two big things. There we go. I will not do any of that. I will not do any of that. Um, <laughs> I do want to talk about another thing Bruno does. Um, right at the end of this game, Bruno Fernandez does his absolute best to make a penal- another penalty kick appear out of nowhere. So, <laughs> Yeah, that was, that was less of a namesake sort of moment. Marcus Rashford really plays a nice little disguised pass um, into Fernandez, And I can't remember the defender. I honestly can't remember if it's um, Eric Dyer or it's Davison Sanchez. I'm pretty sure it's a centre-back. Um, but Let's Fernandez... just go ahead and say it's Eric Dyer for, for tradition. <laughs> for tradition, yeah. So yeah. He, takes, he takes a touch that like, gets away from him, but Fernandez just like throws himself in a prone position at, let's say, the defender, and then collapses. And the ref points to the penalty spot. He gives the penalty. Spurs players are furious. Jose Mourinho almost explodes on the on the mm. touchline it's an it's an absolute atomic jose <laughs> happening on the sideline um it goes to var and they rule they they spot basically that fernandez had created this out of nothing and i've got to say i'm not a fan of diving but i do respect the effort from bruno fernandez knowing it was like final few like minute or so fi- last minute or so of this game and ju- let's just try and make something happen let's make anything happen he did his best with what he had to work with i'm gonna say um, I don't like diving. I will say that this is one of those moments where I'm like, all right, I kind of get it. Like he was getting kicked the whole game. And I think in that moment, he probably thinks I've kind of closed my angles off. I'm not going to get a clear cut opportunity. 
I'm going to make something happen here. And I have been getting kicked and complaining about it very clearly. So maybe this will be the moment when the ref is like, all right, you guys can't keep kicking him. (laughs) Uh, And does give it maybe for that reason, but then VAR correctly rules that it should not have been given in the first place. Yeah, and that's the thing. It was convincing enough that to the naked eye, it really did look like a penalty kick. To my Mm -hmm. naked eye watch on television and to, I've forgotten who refereed this game, but to the referee, pointed to the spot immediately. Only on VAR was it overturned. And once again, I feel like I end up saying this a lot, but um, this is evidence that VAR works, right? This is something that Mm -hmm. Fernandez would have essentially cheated and got away with, if not for VAR. So for every Mm -hmm. Hawkeye disaster, um, we we have a VAR success. We do. In fact, uh, for every Hawkeye disaster, we have hundreds of VAR successes. If we're looking at the actual ratio. Very very true. Uh, Referee was Jonathan Moss, who made me feel good about my levels of fitness during the coronavirus uh, break. (laughs) Shots fired at Jonathan Moss. I'm fine with it. He let some stuff go in this game on on both sides that I felt like there could have been some cards given out. For the first game back when there are already concerns about player fatigue and injury, he was more so of the mind of like, yeah, you know what? Kill each other. It'll be fine. <laughs> I do think actually that was a bit of the Spurs game plan is if mm-hmm. if anything Certainly, looked like yeah. happening from Man United, then it's, you know, in a, in a Fernandinho Manchester City kind of way. Now's not, this isn't a bad place for us to finish this, right? To, to kill this player death. <laughs> to finish this? Yeah. Mortal Let, Kombat style. Let's end this right here. Yeah. It was it was weird that because you could hear more of the uh, the player and the coaches uh, talking, it was strange to hear on multiple occasions Jose Mourinho scream, sweep the, sweep the leg, Johnny. That seemed inappropriate, <laughs> but, you know, you got to do what you got to do. You sure do. Um, so, honors even at, what not White Hart Lane, at the Tottenham Hotspur yeah. Stadium, 1-1, uh, a thoroughly enjoyable game. Um, we have one more game today that we're going to talk about in a minute, Taylor. It was I, Norwich I versus would... Southampton. But I want to jump in really fast. Sorry for stepping on Norwich v. Southampton. I just want to add, because we had some Spurs fans who were very nervous uh, with the season resuming about how things were going to go. And I just, I would reiterate that watching this game was a good reminder of like, oh, right, no Harry Kane, no Son, no uh, Sissoko. That's going to cause some problems. And when you get all them back and Bergwijn as well, it's almost as though they were missing four of their most important attacking players. And when they have them, they can do attacking things. It is, but if we're going to talk about this, I would be concerned if I was a Spurs fan about the fact that Spurs were at home with like an almost full squad to choose from. Mm-hmm. And Mourinho still went with a very sort of uh, defensive and we'll just take the opportunities we get kind of approach, right? Mm-hmm. Like at what point does Mourinho say, hey, I've got all my guys, let's, you know, let's go, let's play some, some fun attacking football. It's looking never. like that's the thing that's never going to happen, yeah. No, I mean, I, I genuinely don't think that that's his philosophy. I think he has that philosophy uh, of you win one nil, you won, you get three points. I think it's that Italian philosophy of I don't care how we win as long as we win. And I think he embraces that fully. So when they're up one nil, that is his ex- like that's his dream scenario of like now you all have to come at us. You make the mistakes and we can capitalize upon them, but we're not going to get stretched out. I think that is exactly the game plan that Jose Mourinho envisions for this team and for any other team he may end up coaching. So CJ Francis, who wanted hope that maybe Spurs could make the Champions League spots. um, If you were CJ, would you be feeling more hopeful or less hopeful? I 
this is not the most helpful of answers, but I would have felt way more hopeful when it was one nil. I think that they were, <laughs> they did allow Man United to come back and made some defensive mistakes. Maybe that is where I, w- I would take some heart is that it was only kind of individual mistakes and in a moment of confusion uh, from Eric Dyer that leads to the equalizer. Aside from that, I felt like Spurs did a very good job. As we said, the only other really good chance aside from the one from Bruno Fernandez for Anthony Martial was the good chance for Rashford, which again is an individual error. I would say the same for Manchester United. That's sort of worth the goal comes from but I think those sort of mistakes aside I felt like Spurs executed the game plan Mourinho wanted to play so I think if you're a Spurs fan you can go back to the old Mourinho mentality of like we're not gonna like win the most exciting games but we're probably gonna win more games consistently okay I guess I would take that if I was a <laughs> that is the correct fan. way to respond to that okay yeah. <laughs> like just end up like I get it but it's yeah. not fun oh and worth noting no appearance for Ndombele unless I missed it so that's a story Mm-mm. that's still developing and while we're in North London Taylor I did see a quote from Mikel Arteta about Mesut Ozil do you know about this oh boy no um he essentially said like uh when I first took over like um, I'm paraphrasing here, but when I first took over, um, Ozil was like really uh, committed and he really wanted to play. Um, and so he, he played like all 10 games under me. Um, and when he's like feeling that way again, then he'll continue, then he'll play again. So there's definitely mm. something going on. And I feel worse and worse and worse about my uh, Arsenal are going to be great uh, <laughs> prediction in the preview. I think you can uh, go ahead and not feel so bad and instead maybe blame the person who doesn't seem motivated enough to motivate his coach to play him. Oh, we'll see. We'll see against Brighton this weekend. I'm I'm actually really looking forward to that Arsenal game this weekend just to see um if they can prove me right and look like a look like the good version of Mikel Arteta's Arsenal. We'll find out this weekend. I have one but... I have one possible possible explanation though. Could it be that Mesut Ozil hasn't sort of freshened up the products he used to make himself feel fresh and that maybe that's the big issue is that he kind of can't make decisions his mind is occupied by what shampoo he needs or uh, what shaving cream he wants or what cologne he might wear and that's why he can't sort of make the decisions on the field that he needs to make I mean I checked all of his social media and as far as I can tell Mm -hmm. unlike our show Mesut Ozil is not sponsored by Hawthorne Um, he he may have trouble making decisions about which uh, personal grooming products to buy Um, and if he did he could go to hawthorne.co and he could take the two-minute quiz where he just answers questions about like what type of hair he has, what skin type he has, um, how much he wants to track back. Um, and then once, once Hawthorne has those results, it will recommend products for you. It will recommend shampoo. It will recommend body wash. It will recommend that you do the job and mark the, the opposition pivot. See, what I'm hearing, Daryl, is that this is a team-building exercise where Mikel Arteta takes the quiz for Mesut Ozil, Mesut Ozil takes it for Mikel Arteta, and then they see who got what right and who got what wrong, and they sort of learn about each other while simultaneously getting some nice products. That's, that's, that sounds nice, but I feel like it'd be more Mikel Arteta telling Mesut Ozil what to wear. Uh, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> but either way, if they use our link and our promo code, I'm fine with it. Our listeners definitely should. Um, if you mm-hmm. if you haven't managed to crack our code, what we're saying <laughs> is if you if you want to buy uh, some grooming yeah. products like shampoo or deodorant or cologne, uh, then you can go to Hawthorne.co. You can take the two minute quiz, and Hawthorne will recommend the products that you need. And if you go to um, Hawthorne.co, that's Hawthorne with an E and dot co, not dot com. Um, Hawthorne.co, and use the promo code TSS. Use the promo code TSS. You'll get ten percent off your first purchase. 
That's Hawthorne, H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O and use code T-S-S to get 10% off your first purchase today. That's Hawthorne dot C-O. Thank you very much to Hawthorne for sponsoring this episode of the Total Soccer Show. Thank you very much to Norwich for Southampton for number one, for giving me for stepping on Daryl's introduction to them. I'm sure they have. But number two, for also providing us an exciting game because it did not seem like it was going to be that way at halftime. Do you believe me about the excitement of the Southampton press now? One hundred it's pretty good, right? Ralph Hasenhutl mm-hmm. really has got them uh, doing the, the Red Bull style, close down all your angles, force you to make a stupid pass, <laughs> and then Hoiberg or Ward-Prowse is picking it off. And then, crucially, Hoiberg and Ward-Prowse are not running at you, but Redmond is running at you, Armstrong is running mm-hmm. at you, Ings is running at you, Obafemi is running at you. That's basically yeah. the story of this game. That's what I saw in the first half, no goals. Second half was like the same, but with three goals. Mm-hmm. And I almost texted you because I know you feel anytime you feel like you have like led our listeners astray is how I feel like you would phrase it because you're harsh on yourself. Like with the Ozil thing with Arsenal, I know that you're sort of like, ah, I shouldn't have said that. And I just wanted to like add that for everything you maybe got incorrect about Arsenal or didn't understand about what was happening best at Ozil, you were you mean dead on with Southampton. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fine. But Southampton were really, really fun to watch uh, in this game, somewhat in the first half, but in the second half, especially obviously when the three goals happened. But you could sort of just tell that, like, I wouldn't be surprised if that halftime talk was just like, what was the Bella Goodman one of like, they are tired, they are dead, go win? Like something along those yeah. lines, because they came out ready to go and Norwich came out the opposite of that. So how do you want to do this? Do you want to talk through all Southampton goals or how, how much detail do you want to get into? Uh, it's up to you. I mean, I have some notes on those goals. Nothing quite as detailed as Man United Spurs. Well, I'll be honest. I have no notes. I'm going completely okay. from memory. So why don't you lead us through the goals and I'll chime in. Sure. When, when when some of my neurons fire and I have memories, I'll chime in. That's fair. So uh, in the 49th minute, we have Danny Ings with the opener. It's a great kind of like bending shot with power from about 12 yards out. But it comes from a, a Southampton throw that is like not cleared and kind of flicked on. And then there's some chaos in the box and eventually it goes to Ings. Going back and watching, I felt like Armstrong has a major part to play in this one because yes. I think he spots Ings and kind of goes for like a little just a toe poke pass that does take a deflection, but it basically goes where he wants it to go. And then it's just Ings alive to it, recognizing he's got the space to cut into and then fires that shot. And it's great awareness from him. And it's the reason why he should be England's starting striker. <laughs> All right, two things that I do um, think about this goal. I heard Carl Anker of The Athletic. He's the Southampton beat writer for The Athletic. He's been on our show several times, right? The thing he always says about Danny Ings is that he's really good at getting his shot away before the goalkeeper gets set. And I yep. think this goal was a really good example of that, it right? It definitely is. Ings like, touches it once and bangs it. And I'm, I'm not sure uh, that Tim Krul is really ready for the shot to, uh, to come at him. Um, that, so- that is a special skill to be able to time it for when they're sort of like, when, they're, when the goalkeeper does that little jump to then get set. Yes. If you can strike that ball when they're feeding in the air, I feel like the percentage likelihood your scoring goes up a, a lot. I would also add that the, um, the, yeah, like you said, it's a throw in. I want to say it's Ryan Bertrand, the left back, takes a throw in down the left for Southampton. And Norwich kind of half win possession back twice, right? But I think there's a Redmond header and then there's the mm-hmm. Armstrong cut across to like poke the ball and get it to yep. Ings. I wouldn't describe either of those things as pressing, but I think it's a result of being in a pressing mindset. Mm-hmm. If you're just yeah. like constantly the whole game being, all right, our, our job is to pounce then you end up just being the team that's more on your toes and ready to yep. react first and ready to get to things first. And I think this goal is a really good example of how that general mindset will end up creating a chance. 
Daryl, are you trying to tell me that being proactive is better than being reactive when it comes to soccer? I am, but it's not an easy thing to do, right? If it was that uh-uh. easy, everyone would just do it. Um, and it's really, sometimes it's just about who's the most proactive. And the answer was Southampton. Yeah, and and then it also feels to me like once they got that goal, it's that it's that thing of like you maybe know you're playing a good game, but it's not quite working. And at halftime, if it's nil-nil and you're doing everything you want, but you still haven't scored there can be that inclination to change it up or maybe you lose faith a little bit. And I would say the opposite happens for Southampton and they come out and I think really just double down on that approach of like, we are going for this and maybe it's informed by it being Norwich or not having a very good season. And so they, they see this as an opportunity to get three points as opposed to preserve the one. But from that point on, I mean, it is very aggressive play. Every time Southampton have the ball, it is aggressive, like play forward, but smart passes and quick passes and very simple touches. And then the perfect combination of selfishness and unselfishness uh-huh. because for example for the second goal scored by armstrong it's a really quick counterattack. he cuts inside it's a great finish but if you go back and watch michael obafemi runs maybe four times as much as any other player in the lead up to this goal because he is constantly moving and trying to get in a position to either be an asset for a pass or to take defenders away. And he is doing it for this goal. He does it for the first goal. He does it several other times in this game. I thought Michael Obafemi, though he doesn't get on the score sheet, his running uh, was excellent and opened up opportunities, but also I think speaks to what you're talking about, about being aggressive, being proactive, trying to make something happen, like, even if it's not necessarily pressing throughout. He's like a less handsy lamella. Yes, exactly. <laughs> le- le- less kicky, less footy lamella. Yeah. <laughs> is the um, the Armstrong goal? So oh, yeah, right. I forgot lamella did the swim. No, you're correct. My mistake. <laughs> it comes. The Armstrong goal comes five minutes after the Danny Ings goal, right? So this is the 54th yep. minute. They're really like crushing them at the start of the second half. Is the Armstrong mm. goal the one that starts with a centre-back giving it to Nathan Redmond and Nathan Redmond essentially accelerating down the middle of the field? I believe so, yes. Yeah, uh, I think that's just worth noting. If you haven't seen this, maybe just go watch the highlights. Go watch the highlights and see these goals. Nathan Redmond covers a lot of ground and breaks Norwich wide open in the build-up to mm-hmm. this second goal and then scores the third goal himself. He does. In between, I want to I want to point out one little thing. Uh, Timu Puki has a chance where he's played yes. in and he got a runs on. He takes a touch and takes a touch and takes a touch and then eventually shoots and I think the shot is blocked for a corner. But that really stood out to me because uh, Southampton in moments reminded me of Man City when they're just utterly humiliating a team where it's like, oh, he could score, but instead he's going to square it to somebody else who could also score, but then he's going to square it to somebody else who taps it in. And contrast that with what Norwich were doing, which was basically like Timu Pukki run on and smash and hopefully something happens. Yeah. And I just, that was a good moment for me of like, okay, Norwich are in a lot of trouble because they do not have any options for it. They don't have any numbers that they could have that sort of pass, pass, pass sequence that leads to a clear cut chance instead they're relying on him to make something happen and when he doesn't or gets dispossessed uh southampton come flying right back down and get another opportunity which they do in the 79th minute when nathan redmond scores oh yeah i'm, I'm not sure how much there is to break down on this goal because it's essentially norwich are just have been torn to pieces and it's a southampton counter-attack and it really looks too easy for redmond by the time he gets to the finish right doesn't he just sort of just just drift away from a defender at the top of the box and then put it in the inside the far post it's almost yeah, an he, insulting he, the commentator goal. The commentator says it really well. He basically receives a square pass from Michael Obafemi. It's a very good pass across the top of the box from one side to the other that I think no one on Norwich saw coming. And Redmond then squares up and drops that shoulder and just gets that little separation to then get the shot off. Uh, also does the uh, raise fist in the air for the celebration. So yeah. double credit to Nathan Redmond. Yeah. So 3-0 to Southampton. I want to bring up, Taylor, a thing that I texted you um, after this game. Mm-hmm. If Weston McKenney, who, by the way, scored for Schalke in midweek, even though they didn't win. 
if Weston McKenney was going to move to the Premier League, I would love to see him move to Southampton. I think this is a perfect fit for him, especially because it's looking more and more like Hoiberg, the, the central defensive midfielder, might be on the move pretty soon. He was stripped of the captaincy, by the way, because he's refusing to sign a new contract. Um, so it, it looks like they might lose Hoiberg. I think McKenney could be the replacement and play for Southampton. What do you think? So I think like we talked about this a little bit uh, via text today, the other thing we texted about. And I think that like you also threw out Tyler Adams, which I think probably makes more sense because of the similarity in style. And that would yeah. be my only hesitation with McKenney is I don't think of Schalke as this really quick free flowing passing and moving sort of situation. I see it as like, we'll try something. Let's score off some set pieces. So I don't know if he would have like the familiarity that Tyler Adams would obviously have, or some other midfielders would have, but I think it is also sort of the area of his game that I most want him to develop. So for that reason as well, I would very much enjoy that move. I mean, yeah, I think short term Tyler Adams would fit in better because what Hazen Hootel does is so similar to what RB Leipzig do. But Weston McKinney, I would argue, has the traits, right? Closes down space really quickly. Um, loves to just pass forward quickly, which I think is what Southampton are about, right? They're about, mm-hmm. once they win the ball back, it's go, 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 right? Come at you really quick. Um, cover a lot of ground in central midfield. I, I just think Weston McKinney would be a great, great fit. And I also think it's like the right size club for him. Like it, we, I think we're dreaming if we think McKinney goes to like Liverpool or Arsenal or something like that. And I think we're worried if he goes to like a West Ham team <laughs> type team where you sort of never know what the season will hold. Southampton seem to be just a team that's on the up yep. in a system that I think plays to Weston McKinney's strengths. So I just want to put a little marker out there that Weston McKinney to Southampton might be a good move, not least because Hazen Hutel knows the Bundesliga. So he, there's a good chance he might be aware of our friend who wears number two for Schalke. One thing I'm sure he is aware of because of that familiarity with the Bundesliga is that Premier League teams have more money. And especially uh, in the post-COVID, the sort of uh, will, will the transfer market even happen? And if so, will any players be worth anything? <laughs> I, I do think that Southampton could probably make a not- massive offer to Schalke for Weston McKinney and they would take it immediately. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Relatively, right? I don't know what Schalke's finances mm-hmm. are like, but I'm guessing they're not rosy. Not good. Yeah. <laughs> That's not yes. rosy. There's a reason why they don't have a forward. If you see way. them start um, chipping away at the tunnel, trying to get some more coal out of there to sell, then <laughs> you'll know that things are really bad at Schalke. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's that and not that they're sort of close to a relegation battle. It's the chipping coal. There is there is also that. Um, speaking of Germany, um, Taylor, mm. unless you've got anything else you want to talk about, it's worth noting, We I don't think we've talked about this on the show, Bayern are officially Bundesliga champions, right? The win mm. over Bremen makes Bayern officially Bundesliga champions for the eighth season in a row. That's true. To be fair, they did win the title the day they appointed Hansi Flick. So that was the major <laughs> difference, I think, as to why we haven't talked about it yet. And I also noticed on Twitter, a few people were asking, why do Bayern have such dominance of the Bundesliga? Um, and Manuel Veit was uh, smart enough to note that you and he recorded an entire podcast answering that question. So sure did. if anyone is wondering, why do Bayern keep winning the Bundesliga, not just now, but, you know, very regularly for the last few decades, um, you and uh, Manuel had a really long and detailed and deep conversation that gets into all kinds of reasons. And honestly, I thought I knew all the reasons. Uh, Just, I guess I have an inflated sense of ego. Um, But listening to that show, um, there are a lot of new reasons that I thought were really illuminating. 
Yeah. And if you're wondering who provided the long part of the episode and who provided the detailed part of the episode, I'm guessing you can guess. <laughs> that episode you can find in the Soccer 101 feed. Go find it and you can hear all about why Bayern keep winning the Bundesliga. Here's a quick teaser for that one, though. There's a word that describes Bayern and their luck. Like they, there was literally a word created as part of the explanation for why Bayern tend to have the yeah, success they do. Like the so Bav- you can learn about that and many other things. So like the Bavarian equivalent of Fergie time, right? Pretty much, yes. <laughs> um, elsewhere in the world of soccer, mm-hmm. Barcelona played Sevilla today. We were going to talk about all the goals in that game, and I guess we can because that game finished nil-nil, right? Talked about it already. There we go. There we go. Nailed it. But the reason that's important is Barcelona being held to a draw by uh, Lopetegui's third place, Sevilla, means that if Real Madrid win this weekend when they play Real Sociedad, Real Madrid will overtake Barcelona at the top of La Liga. They'll be level on points, but they'll have the better head-to-head record, which is first tiebreaker in La Liga. So uh, really the big game to watch this weekend um, in Europe, maybe, is Real Madrid versus Real Sociedad. Uh, I want to say it's four o'clock on BN Sports. Uh, It's on Saturday afternoon, four o'clock US Eastern time. The other thing worth noting, Martin... Oh, I've forgotten his name. Who's the the young Odegaard? Player? Martin Odegaard. I was going to call him Odegaard for some reason. Martin Odegaard. Uh, and I want I want to jump in to add. Daryl was the one who told me about this before we started recording. That was not me remembering it. It was you having told me his name is why I remembered his name so quickly. I, he'd done a merger with Hoiberg in my head. I'd say Martin Odegaard, the Norwegian wonder kid um, who's on loan from Real Madrid to Real Sociedad, has really been performing well. Right, Real Sociedad are really high up the table because of Martin Odegaard. He's allowed to play against Real Madrid, so it's Real versus Real with Odegaard playing for Real uh, this weekend. Marmin Odeberg? There we go. Is that the merge? That's the merge. That's the merge. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm excited for that one. We will be back. Uh, I believe you're going to be joining us for the weekend review. Is that correct? Yeah, we're going to do a threesome weekend review mm-hmm. with Taylor and Daryl and Ryan Bailey. We have the technology. We finally have the technology to make it happen. <laughs> We are indeed. That'll be Sunday evening, out late Sunday night, maybe early Monday. But before we get to that, Mr. Grove, we have Return of the Goat, which is to say (laughs) the greatest of all time scouting network. That's right. It's the TSS Scouting Network. It's back. We have scouting reports. We have live soccer. So there are scouting reports coming in. It's all very exciting. Why is it the Goat Scouting Network? Because no one else has one that's as good. Or or has one at all. (laughs) Hey, hey, you don't got to go that way. You don't got to be like that. It's the first, only, and therefore best podcast-based scouting network. Ah, there it is. The old <laughs> catchphrase. All right. I see all the scouting reports. I'm excited to talk about them, not least because there is um, a, 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 a report all about an American up first. Uh-huh, and I believe you need to read that one. Okay. All right. This is from our friend Greyhair Gaming. Greyhair Gaming is scouting Indiana Vasilev, the 19-year-old American attacker for Aston Villa. Great. And I should add, I should clarify the grammar really quickly. Uh, since you, Daryl, beat him to the punch by retweeting the news, Grey Hair Gaming requests that you read uh, this upcoming scouting report in the thickest Midlands, Midlands accent you can muster. You know what? I refuse because we've already done this. I, okay. <laughs> I remember doing this. I remember doing this on the end of an episode, maybe whenever this happened, three or four weeks ago. So you don't want to do it again? You don't want to humor him with your with your scouting? I've already humored him once. All right, fine. Then we'll do Mark Gardberg instead? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, though. I will just give a quick Indiana Vasilev update. I think this is another thing I think I kind of got wrong in the preview. I was really optimistic that we'd see a lot of Vasilev, but it looks mm. like Villa are going with uh, Keenan Davis. And also they've got a new player, Samata, who they scored. I think Vasilev might be a couple places down the pecking order 
a couple more places down the pecking order than he was before the January transfer window came around. Bummer. Yeah. Bummer. There was a loud firework right outside of my house when I said bummer. So I think the firework agrees with me that it's sad. The firework also agrees that we have a scouting report from Mark Gardberg, scouting Patrick Schick, 23-year-old Czech striker for RB Leipzig. Schick scored his eighth goal of the Bundesliga uh, season in late May in Leipzig's 2-2 draw with Hertha Berlin, though it probably should have gone down as an own goal due to a howler by Hertha's goalkeeper. He then bagged his ninth of the campaign in RB's 4-2 win over Köln. Uh, Schick's loan is up in July, and he's been linked with Spurs, Everton, Arsenal, and others. I know Nagelsmann really likes him and wants to keep him. I've seen him talking about that. Um, Guy Yedwab is scouting Serge Gnabry, the 24-year-old German wide forward for Bayern Munich. Guy says Gnabry has overcome a minor muscle injury to play the majority, a majority of Bayern's minutes since the season resumed. He also assisted against Dusseldorf, which would have been two assists if that rascal own goal hadn't gotten in the way. (laughs) <laughs> uh, Ryan Marzak scouting Pione Sisto the 25 year old Danish attacker for Celta Vigo Sisto has had a tough season up to this point only recording two goals and that has not really changed since play resumed he was a second half sub in Celta's 1-0 loss to Villarreal and then did not get off the bench at all in their 0-0 draw with Real Valladolid my only hope would be that because neither one of those results were particularly impressive maybe that means he gets some more time in the future oh and Ryan has also emailed me to request a new player because Pione Sisto has aged out Ryan I apologize. I didn't get back to you. I think it's been a week or so and I didn't respond to your most recent email. Um, I will take care of that this weekend. I promise. Um, we, have, right. we have a second report from Ryan because he's scouting two players. Ryan's second player is Josh Onomar, the 23-year-old English midfielder at Fulham. Ryan says the championship returns this weekend and Fulham currently sit in third place with nine matches to go. Promotion would be massive for Onomar, who received only very limited opportunities in the Premier League when he was with Spurs. That is well said and well described. Patrick Keeler scouting Anthony Robinson, the 22-year-old American left back for Wigan. After a successful heart procedure, Anthony reported back to full team training this morning, which was June 12th when that report was sent in. There had been concerns, mostly by Patrick, uh, that the procedure might have to be delayed due to the COVID-19 crisis, but that has not been the case. Welcome back, Mr. Robinson. That's great. That was the um, the heart problem that prevented mm-hmm. the move to Milan, right? So yep. it's really great that that's been successful. Um, Nick Hooray. Imhoff is scouting Emmanuel Sa- 22-year-old American winger for Hobro. Um, Nick says the Danish Superliga and Hobro finished their regular season on June 7th. In his final game, Sabi made a great run behind the left back and beat the keeper to the ball um, before his attempt was cleared away by a defender. Nick says that felt like a good summary of Sabi's entire Hobro career. Great effort and skill. Nothing to show for it. Bummer. Another bummer. Let's see if Mark Spicer can pick it back up. Scouting uh, Mikael Cuisson. I nailed that pronunciation, I'm sure. Cuisance, however you say it. Uh, (laughs) You you just lost confidence after you said it. I I think you nailed it. Uh, All right. Well, then I apologize, and I appreciate you editing that out. I'm sure you did that. 20-year-old French midfielder for Bayern Munich. Mikhail. Mikael started his first ever match for Bayern Munich in their 2-1 win against his former team, Borussia Mönchengladbach. Mikael had a solid showing with several nice touches, including a header that he put just wide of the goal late in the first half. Playing time has been hard to come by this season for Mikael, as this was only his seventh Bundesliga appearance for a grand total of 148 minutes played. Jeffrey Tanner is scouting Bukayo Saka, the 18-year-old English fullback for Arsenal. Jeffrey says, starting as a right winger against Man City, Saka had a few decent moments but had minimal impact in a dreadful gunner performance. He was relatively composed despite being opposite his normal side and was then moved to left back after, after David Luiz was sent off for a David Luiz-esque foul. He was tasked with going up against Raheem Sterling in his defensive duties and Sterling was too much for Saka to handle. No shame though, because that's true for most defenders. 
If you're ranking worst center back performances so far in the Premier League since it's returned, if you've got David Luiz, Eric Dyer, Harry Maguire, what's your order of worseness? David Luiz for sure, right? For like uh, yeah. minutes on the field to goals and red cards. It's, mm-hmm. it's unbeatable. <laughs> it's like 20-something minutes, right? Or, yeah. All in. yeah. <laughs> and then after that, I think it might be Maguire. Maguire's mistake yep. is worse than Dyer's because... It it just seems so rudimentary to like not show someone outside when they're already running to your inside. Yes, I agree with you. Yeah. And really, like Dyer conceding a penalty, that happens from time to time, especially if you're a midfielder playing as a center back, although that is more common for him these days. But to get posterized the way Harry Maguire yeah, did, true. I think, is is probably a more humbling experience. Yep. So yeah, I have that same order. We agree. Lovely. We have an accord. Send, send, uh, it, Andrew send Cross. it in to be our football ranks. Ranking terrible yeah. center back performances. <laughs> <laughs> no charge I'm for that sure one sometime. You can have it. I feel like they might do that show. I'll <laughs> let him know. Andrew Cross is scouting Leon, uh, Leonardo Sepulveda, 19-year-old American left back for Salamanca FC, or CF, excuse me. Leonardo Sepulveda turned 19 yesterday, June 18th. Uh, while not a soccer highlight, it seemed like a good opportunity for an initial scouting report. Uh, Leonardo started 12 games for Salamanca's B team last fall before moving to the first team and earning three starts at left back before the COVID-19 pandemic ended Salamanca's season. Where is Salamanca? Spain? It's in it's in Spain it somewhere. Spanish, right? Yeah, I'm going to guess it's mm-hmm. in Spain. Um, Brighton Cassell. Also the brothers from, or the cousins from Breaking Bad? Yep. 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 Cool. Sure is. Brighton Cassell is scouting Lee Kang-in, the 19-year-old Korean attacking midfielder for Valencia. Brighton says Lee came on in the 76th minute as the fifth sub in Valencia's 3-0 defeat to Real Madrid. Lee was largely uninvolved until the 89th minute when he was given a straight red card for, according to Ray Hudson, quote, trying to kick chunks the size of filet mignons out of Sergio Ramos, unquote. (laughs) This season, Lee has become more well-known for his frustration fouls than the attacking creativity that lit up the 2018 FIFA Under-20 World Cup. I guess that's the thing. You don't get to play against Sergio Ramos at the Under-20 World Cup, do you? Yeah, not so much. Not so much. He's he's aged out of that slightly. Daryl, I also feel bad because I didn't take your question uh, seriously. I just wanted you to know that Salamanca is a city in western Spain that is the capital of the province of Salamanca in the community of Castile and Leon. The city lies on the several hills of the Tormes River. Does that make sense? Yeah, that sounds very extemporaneous. Yeah, I totally knew it all off the top of my head. No big deal. You sure did. Thank you to everybody for today's scouting reports. Um, Please enjoy all the weekend action. We will be back Sunday night with the weekend review. But there's also a special surprise show uh, coming over the weekend, right, Tyler? That's right. I talked to Jordan Farrell, the head coach of the Oakland Roots, as well as Adris Argonderwal uh, from the Oakland Roots as well. Not surprisingly, we talk about some on-field stuff and how they're going about reopening, as well as some off-field stuff relating to the George Floyd protests and uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, many other topics as well, including jazz, obviously. How do you not talk about jazz? I mean, I don't know how to, so I look forward to knowing if you do know how to. Um, I look forward to the episode that will be released over the weekend. Um, Taylor, I will close by saying thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again very soon. 